revival doesn't just happen. It starts within the church in our hearts to be doing the right things, to following God so that we can see revival in our own lives and then he brings dead men to life. So, A uh, couple of weeks, I guess months ago, really back in the beginning of the year, we started off kind of theming the year with the ideal of, of Psalm 51.10 as kind of being our theme for the year. And so I encouraged you and invited you to, uh, to memorize that. And so I'm going to ask you this morning, we're going to put it up on the screen here in the ESV version, but I'm going to invite you this morning. Uh, if you would, just, would you just say that out loud with me this morning? Create in me Okay, I'm going to ask you to do that one more time. Create in me I'm going to ask you to do this a little bit differently this time. Would you, would you just say that like you're just truly praying and asking God for that right there? Create in me clean heart, O oh God. Renew in me a right spirit. And the ideal of the right spirit is about having the right attitude. And if we go to the very beginning, that create in me, God, put in me, start in me something that I don't have already, mold, chip away, put in, whatever has to happen, create in me a clean heart, God, but renew in me the right spirit. Because I have to be honest with you, there have been a lot of good things thrust upon me, offered to me, put in front of me, and my attitude is not always to receive them. My attitude is sometimes to push away from that. And so there's, there's two parts to that. God, fix me. Because I'm acknowledging that I am broken, and I need a cleansing that only you can provide. But Lord, I also need to have the right attitude to receive that and to do something with the change that you've made in me. For the next several weeks, we're going to be revisiting this, this theme of our year that, that God would indeed create in us a, a, a clean heart and renew in us the right attitude, the right spirit the right way for us to approach every aspect of our lives, especially in the relationships that we have with him, we have with one another. And so I would encourage you, memorize that, meditate on that simple Psalm 51.10, put it to practice all that you can, and, and use that over the next several weeks as we, we look at a fresh start. And sometimes a fresh start comes from remembering and renewing and bringing back these ideas. And so our fresh start series starts today. We're going to be looking through, uh, through Daniel, just one chapter in Daniel over the next several weeks. You can go there in a few minutes, but, but I, I, I'll lead you there in just a, a couple of seconds. But I want to tell you, as I love to tell stories and I love to have these, these anecdotes that are out there of, of, a, of a Cherokee grandfather that took his grandson out camping. And they were, he was teaching him life lessons. He was teaching him stories. Uh, these are from the uh, Lenape people, I believe, is, is, is the, the tribe that they're from. And he's teaching him stories. And he's teaching his grandson how to grow up to be, a, to be a man, to be a warrior within these people. And he tells his grandson, he says, Son, there, there were two wolves who were always fighting one another. And one of the wolves was filled with rage and with anger and with viciousness and envy, with lies and deceit and self-destruction. And the other wolf was, was filled with kindness and goodness and charity and love and respect and dignity and trust. And the two wolves were always fighting every time they would see one another, which was all the time. They were in the same pack. They were always fighting. They were always fighting. They were fighting, even to the point to where they had finally determined that one day they were going to fight to the very death. And so as the grandfather tells his son about these two wolves that were always fighting, he says, now that sounds interesting, doesn't it? He goes, yes, grandfather, it does. And he paused, 
He waited for the little boy to ask a question. He says, well, which one of them wins? And I think the grandfather offered good advice for all of us to remember. He says, the one that wins is the one that you feed. Well, sometimes we feed the wrong wolf, don't we? And within us, we have that wolf that is constantly fighting. I know that's Native American culture, but the ideal is that we're just always battling within our own minds, our own hearts, trying to be who we're supposed to be, who we want to be, who we wished we were, who the world thinks maybe we ought to be. I don't know that we experience that any worse place than in church because the unchurched seem to have an ideal of how the church are supposed to live and act and play and talk. And when we don't meet those standards of expectations, then we get all kinds of other things. But then when we do meet the world's standards and expectations, we're not really much better off, are we? And we're still fighting the wrong and feeding the wrong wolf, aren't we? But a whole lot of those elements have to do with really who our character is and who we are as individuals what that means for us. And so this morning as we start our, 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 our sermon series, Fresh Start, we're going to examine character. Now, friends, I'm going to tell you, I think sometimes we get this idea of a fresh start or a reset or, or, or a, a do-over or whatever. We, we get this idea that if we just take a break, call a timeout, freeze, take a big breather, and we come back, everything's going to be all better. It's not going to be all better. Let me just tell you that right now. It's going to be waiting for you as soon as you get back. It's, it's going to be there. They, they tell me that pastors should take no less than two weeks off in a row because it takes about six days to calm down long enough to get to a place to where you can enjoy your vacation. The great problem with that is that you need a vacation from your vacation. I'm all for taking a break. I'm all for calling a timeout. I'm all for, for recognizing that there are times by which, you know what? I'm carrying things with my own motivation, with my own strength, and it's just barely getting by the minimum standard. And I need a break so I can rest and recharge. If nothing else, realizing that whatever I'm taking a break from will still be there when I get back, but I'll be in a different place to be able to handle that, confront that, deal with that, receive that if I have to, as well because I've taken the time to feed the right wolf. But what we get into challenges with sometimes is that our character is this consistent thing. Now listen, we've all been angry, we've all been frustrated, we've all been afraid, we've all been mad, we've all been scared, and we do things out of those emotions that pop up from time to time. Character is the consistency by which we're always staying in that lane. It's how we're, we're constantly viewed and how we're constantly responding to and acting. It doesn't mean we can't be angry, can't be emotional. God himself is an emotional character. He's vengeful, he's wrathful, he's loving, he's kind. We're made in his image. He's created us to be those same ways, to have those emotions in their right places as well. But I'm talking about character, about who you are each and every day, who you are when no one's looking, as Dwight Moody said. Now, my dad, who I think is one of the wisest men in the world, he's reminded me over and over again throughout my lifetime. I'm 45 now. Throughout my lifetime, he's reminded me that um, when, a, when a person shows you their character, you should take them at their word. That when they show you who they really are all the time, consistently, all the time, trust them on that. Trust them on that. Take that right to the bank. That is who they are. That is who they will always be. And you can count on them to behave that way always. 
I'd like to tell you that my dad was telling me that to watch out for the rest of the world, but my dad was telling me that to say, check your character, son. Because what you reveal to the world about who you are and how you behave and the consistency by which you do that, you're showing people who you really are. There are fewer people in this world that I want to make proud of me than my father. And so when he tells you stuff like that, you listen, right? We have some great examples in the scriptures. Some great examples in the scriptures that show us that circumstances are going to be challenging to us, that we're going to be in a place that's going to be difficult and challenging, and there's going to be times by which our character is going to be tested. And so my question to you this morning, one of many, is, is simply this, is, is are you defined by your circumstances or are you defined by your choices? Because I think character is a choice. I think, I think we have to choose to exercise what is right and good and best I think we have to, to decide that I can respond this way. I think sometimes we even have to check our emotions in the right place so that when we love the Lord our God with our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, that our emotions don't shut our brains off and our brains don't stop us from taking the right activity. And the right activity means that we're honoring God, not just getting what we want out of the situation. And so are you ruled by your circumstances or are you ruled by your choices? Because we all have some pretty challenging circumstances. Some of us have jobs that pay us well that we absolutely hate. Some of us have jobs that we hate, but we absolutely love our coworkers. Some of us have neighbors that we just can't wait for their house to sell. Some of our neighbors have a neighbor that they just wish would love them like Jesus said they should. Are you ruled by your circumstances or by your choices? I want that to just kind of simmer in there for a little while because the emotional bad character is going to push against their circumstances all the time will this happen to me or that happened this way or this is always happening or that's always going that way listen folks we have a choice on how we respond to everything that comes our way and we're not going to get it right 100 percent of the time we are not perfect but that's where humility comes into play that's where i'm sorry comes into play that's where we have to have these conversations with others but if we are constantly ruled by our circumstances and not by our choices, we will be tossed about like waves on an open sea. There was a man named Daniel. If you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to give you a quick rundown of Daniel. Daniel was exiled as a teenager. And he was pushed into captivity, basically, under Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And while he was there, he was tested many times with hard circumstances. He was told what he was supposed to eat, how he was or wasn't supposed to pray. And Daniel stood up and he says, I'm going to follow my God. I'm not going to defile my body. I'm going to do what is right and good and best. I'm going to be a person of character. About 70 years passes and a new king takes over from Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar. What, I can't say his name. Belshazzar. We see Darius, the, the, the Mede, actually comes into power after the death of another one, and he chooses this Daniel to be one of his leaders. And so we're going to look at the first three verses this morning of Daniel chapter 6. We're going to see where this young man who was a teenager who lived under the oppression of another government and another rule who did not know God, honor God, or love God turned the heart of one king towards the one true God, and then he watched all that drift away, and another king come and took him out, and here he is placed again, probably in his 80s by this point, 
placed under another oppressive regime who does not love his God, know his God, honor his God, or respect his God, but yet God's about to elevate Daniel to be high in this government that doesn't respect and love him. It's really remarkable, actually, when you start to think about it. If nothing else, it just means there's hope for you out there. God can put you in places to do great things. Even in some what you might consider ungodly places, the circumstance of that really should not outweigh the choice that God says, hey, I'm going to put you someplace where you can do something good. And the other examples like that, just go read the book of Job. Look at the life of Joseph. You can see lots of times circumstances closed in, but choices were what really needed to be made. Let's read the first three verses of this together. Daniel chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. It pleased Darius, the king, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps would give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. This is remarkable when you really think about this. Here's the circumstance where an old man who represents a, 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 a group of people, an ethnic group, these Jewish people who are oppressed, who have been kicked out of their homeland, who are set into this new place, exiled from the promised land that God promised them. Here they are, sitting there in, the, in this kingdom under somebody else, and God says, you know what, I'm going to make this this ungodly king rule over my people as part of punishment and part of cleaning them up and putting a new heart in them perhaps so that maybe they'll have the right spirit about them so I can return them to the promised land someday. But until then, they got some lessons to learn. And so this, this, this king comes in, and he's a pretty sharp guy. And what he realizes is that this guy, Daniel, has this history of making good decisions, of making good choices, and he did so under the last king, and so maybe he'll do it under this king too. And in fact, he says, in order for me to make good choices myself, to rule over my kingdom that I have power and possession over, I'm going to put some layers of leadership and management in here. And Daniel, by the way, is not middle management. He's upper management. And in upper management, there will be three who will divide over 120. And so 120 people, probably 40 each, will each answer to one of these three high leaders of which Daniel is the most impressive. Which essentially, the King Darius here is saying that I'm going to make Daniel the number two guy in all the land. Now, let me just show you for a couple of places how important this is. Joseph had the same thing happen to him. He was the number two guy in all the land. I would say it would be okay, now I know this may wrestle you a little bit, to say that Jesus would be the number two guy subservient to God himself over all of creation. Even though he and God are one and the same and equal. I'm not a modalist, so please don't go down that road. If you don't know what that is, don't waste your time. Here's Daniel a person who makes good decisions over 70-plus years of his life, suddenly put into a, a position where he can do some good. And in doing that good, we see some great things happen with him. He was elevated to a position of power and authority because of his decisions. He was respected by a king who just killed his last boss. There's a book out called Management Styles of Attila the Hun. I don't know if any of you have ever read that. Again, not one I necessarily endorse. 
But Attila the Hun had this, this amazing process when he would go in and he would attack uh, into China. The, the Mongols would go into China and they would attack. And what Attila the, uh, the Hun would do is he would line up all these warriors uh, by rank, highest to lowest. And he would go to the first one and he would say to him, if you will, uh, uh, if you will give me your allegiance and you will fight for me, I'll restore your kingdom and your wealth and I will put you over all of these places around here. If you'll do that and swear your allegiance to me. And it never failed. The first one, the, whoever the king or the general, whoever it was in that army, they would say no, and Attila would cut his head off right there in front of everybody. And so he would go to the number two guy. If you will swear your allegiance to me and give me all of, all, you know, I'll, I'll put all these. And, it, of course, it never failed. The second guy was like, you got it. You're the hun, man. Okay? We're good. But oftentimes, when you take over something, the last thing you really want to do is to get the person who was, who was influential in the last one because he may come in and cause some problems, may come in and have some difficulty. I don't know if you've seen leadership changes before. Perhaps in NFL, you'll see that. A head coach comes in, everybody gets fired. Perhaps a CEO comes in, everybody gets fired, right? If they're not getting fired, they're all jumping ship because they're, they're worried about what may happen next. People make these adjustments. But for some reason, I'm going to just say, I don't know, God intervened with Darius and said, listen, you don't want to lose this guy because he's got quality decision-making. He has the respect of his people, who we're still oppressing, by the way, and he has the respect of everybody else out here because he has been consistent in making good choices. On top of that, he is distinguished above all the other high officials. And he had this job to make sure that the king did not suffer any loss. Now, think about that for just a moment. If I'm in business or if I'm in power and I want to remain successful or I want to remain in power or I want to keep doing what I'm doing, the best thing for me to do is to surround myself with good people, right? That's one of the first things. That's business 101. Surround yourself with good people. Anything you want to be successful at, surround yourself with good people. Not just people who just say, yes, you're the best, keep on doing what you're doing, but good people who are honest, who have integrity, who have character. Surround yourself with good people, and they will do what is right, not what you want them to do, but what is right. And this is who Daniel was. Daniel had distinguished himself as someone who was right. And so how do we look at our circumstances and make the right choices. I think one of the first things we need to do is understand that circumstances are approved by God. I, 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 think, I think that's a, a hard pill to swallow sometimes because what we have to acknowledge is that, that, that the things that are happening in my life, God has ordained to happen. God has approved to happen. Dare I say it, God has blessed my misery. I... It is not something we just want to embrace, and it's certainly not, I don't think, good Christian character to run around playing the martyr all the time. In the New Testament especially, we saw these guys that would walk around with the whips and beat themselves. They were called the ascetists, and they, they thought that, you know, hey, we should, we, the flesh should be punished and should be beaten to submission, and they would have these whips, and they would just walk around all the time flailing away. Oh, we're just such terrible people. Oh, we're just awful sinners. Oh, God. And they would do these things, and they were these, these martyrs. And, of course, people look at them going, yeah, you don't have to beat yourself. I know you're a moron, okay? You don't, you don't have to convince me. And then there were others who would go the other way and go, oh, I'm just not as holy as they are, so I won't even participate in that sort of nonsense. It's crazy what happens when people start making their circumstances into their new God. And they worship 
and they pay homage to, and they give resources to, and they give credibility to. And now the circumstance, and let, let, let me just say this for a second. I know some of your circumstances are terrible. I mean, they're awful. And, and the last thing I, I even want to think for a minute is God woke up and said, I'm just going to punish this person terribly. Because there are some good, holy, righteous people who love God that have some terrible circumstances. But that didn't change God's character. Doesn't change his love for you either. My mother is a three-time or two-time cancer survivor. She went through an awful round of chemo many years ago. I watched her spiritual life progress in the midst of that. She had 56 chemos over the course of a little bit of a year. I said, Mom, how you doing? She says, you know what? I, I finally woke up one day, and I just realized God didn't wake up and say, I'm going to give her cancer because I want her to suffer. She says, I woke up and said that I am created in the image of God, and there's sin in this world, and my body is temporary, and if this is what we got to go through, this is what we got to go through, but God still loves me anyway. Man, that's character for you, right? That's somebody to be around. So Daniel's got this job that he's been elevated in the midst of his circumstances. He could complain, he could whine, he could talk about all these things, but instead he made good choices. And that's why I tell you, circumstances are approved by God, but character is revealed by our choices. I don't think there's any better place to see that than in small children, especially ones who know how to lie without being taught and are consistent about it. I mean, if you really want to know that sin is innate and man is innately not good, just hang around a child for a while. Put a couple pieces of candy around for temptation and see where it disappears and ask them what happened to it. Yeah. One of my children, I won't tell you which of the two, had, a, had an invisible friend. Anybody ever have invisible friends? And anything bad that happened, that invisible friend did. It just so happened the invisible friend had the same name as that child. And parents also named John and Amanda, but not this John and Amanda. Choices. We all want freedom. We all want decision-making. We all want autonomy. We want all these things. It's actually one of the problems, just to be perfectly honest with you, with humanity, is that we want to make too many choices. We want to make too many of our own decisions. And God has spelled out clearly for us what is good and right and best. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, tell us something that we really ought to pay attention to regarding our circumstances. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Character is produced through endurance of walking through our circumstances. And if we understand that God approves our circumstances, then our choices actually develop our character. Then when we find ourselves in a tough circumstance, we start making the right, the, the right choices, the right decisions of what is good and right and best. And we start doing those things. We see that we endure through the circumstance because it'll pass. Another one will come. We endure through the circumstance, but we still have the choices of our character to present ourselves before God and before others. And so in the process of enduring through our circumstances, we produce character, and that character produces hope. And here's the good news about hope. The reason why it won't be put to shame is because hope is always future-focused. And if our hope is in Jesus Christ, one day our hope will be sight. We won't have to worry about the future because we'll be living in a timeless present in the presence of holy God. And we will not be put to shame for hoping for better than what we have because I do hope for the future will be better than what we have today. And I got news for you, just in case you're wondering or not so sure about it, we won't find it on earth. It is nothing to do with any government or plan 
or lottery system or whatever, we won't find a hopeful, better future outside of Jesus Christ. Bottom line, period. And want to talk about a choice to make? That's the one you make. That's the one you make. Your circumstances will never be a match for the choice to follow Jesus Christ. Because a lot of people have endured a whole lot worse than what we could ever possibly imagine. And they still chose to follow Jesus Christ. I have a friend who runs a seminary in Dubai. And he is a good godly man. And he has many a closed countries that come through Dubai. And they go back to their countries to do things. And he sent out a, a message this past week saying, please pray for the Christians in Afghanistan. Because they're about to endure something that Paul himself would have been challenged by. You think your circumstances are bad? Somebody cut me off in traffic today. <laughs> so I'm going to cry about it, cuss about it, put it on next door app so everybody knows how bad a person they are. Your choices have a whole lot more to do with your circumstances than what your circumstances have to do with who you are. Things just happen sometimes. So how do we develop good character? Well, I'm going to show you several ways pretty quickly here. First of all, I think character is formed when comfort and convenience submit to right, good, and best. We are in a pretty comfortable and convenient environment, aren't we? Okay, so it's hot in the back room and the coffee's not very hot. We don't have our, a building of our own. The AC on the truck doesn't work. We drive 1.8 miles. Lord, if you love me, you'd fix the AC in the truck for the three of us that drive it every month. Hey, I hate it too, fellas. That's why I wore shorts last week. Defiance. Daniel chapter 1 verse 8 was a good example of what I'm talking about. But Daniel resolved that he would not, listen to this, defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Daniel resolved that the comfort and convenience, the king's food, which was rich and good and of the best that was going to be presented to these guys so that they could grow strong and, and have good stature, he resolved that he would not defile himself. Now, it doesn't matter what happens after that. Daniel said, my comfort and my convenience are going to go out the window for what is right and good and best. And what is right and good and best is that God has provided. He has told me what to and not to put into my body, into my mind, into my heart, into my eyes, into my ears. And I'm choosing not to defile myself. The circumstance was, here's the best the world has to offer. And Daniel said, I'm going to choose to let comfort and convenience go away, and I'm going to choose what is right and good and best. That's how we develop good character. Character is formed when input influences output. This one may hurt just a little bit, not sorry. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, some of you know this. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. When input influences output, 
you see a person of bad character inputs a lot of junk and it comes right back out, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth flows, right? I'm sure I've told this story before about my kids when they were little. One of them told the other one how much they hated them. It just breaks a mother's heart, doesn't it? It breaks a dad's heart, too. And you hear those words, and you're like, who taught this kid to say these things? And, of course, if you're a good dad, you always go, it's the mother. One of our children got in trouble for saying something that they were not supposed to say at school. It's a pretty challenging word. My wife and I had a conversation. We're like, hey, I don't say that word ever, especially around the kids. I don't say that word either, with me. Grandma. In traffic, no less. Hmm. We need to improve our input, maybe even reduce our input. We have so much access to noise and junk and yuck today that the filters are either clogged or removed and the input is influencing our output in the wrong way. Church, I love you. I love Jesus more. I love this community. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm going to really challenge you about what your input is or your output in your daily, everyday relationships with one another. My kids joke with us a lot because Amanda and I have gotten to that age where we read a lot more. Many of us take in things from what we read, usually from different news sources or whatever, but usually we'll start a conversation with, I read an article. I'm not against knowledge, don't get me wrong. That's actually the next point I want to make to you. Character is formed when application reflects information. Think about that for just a second. When application reflects information. I want to go to a church that preaches the gospel, that preaches the Bible so much that I could pass a seminary exam. I really don't care about that, folks. Yes, I value education. Yes, I value teaching you the truth of God's word. But the last thing I really want you to do is be filled with information and have absolutely no application whatsoever. I hate painting. You want to talk about character. You want to get me in a place in a bad spot? Ask me to paint inside. Been doing it for the last couple of weeks. My wife does most of it. Going to be honest, that's good character, right? Well, yeah. But I have never in my lifetime opened a can of paint in the middle of the room and said, walls, paint thyself, and it happened. I had plenty of resources, but no application. It doesn't matter how much information you have if you don't do anything with it. It matters even less if you have a whole lot of it and do the wrong thing with it. We're in a battle for the mind right now like we have never seen because the input is influencing the output and the application is not following the information. And we've got a lot of information coming in, a lot of misinformation, a lot of bad information, a lot of foolish information, but just overall too much information. We do indeed live in a world of TMI. We live there now. Perhaps one of the greatest cartoons I've seen in a long time is an old man sitting in front of a television saying, how do we get past all of this nonsense? Click, turn it off, and open it up. And then do something about it. Do something with it. Second Peter verse 1, chapter 1, verse 5 through 11 says this. It says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, 
and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Daniel was taught the Torah as a young boy. When he was exiled as a teenager, he was placed in a position where the king said, I want you to eat this and do this and do this. And he says, I will not eat that. I will eat this. I will follow my God. I will pray three times a day facing the east. I will do whatever I need to do to honor my God. I will not be defiled by my circumstances, nor will I make a bad choice to put myself in worse circumstances. I will be a person of character that is consistent. And 70 years later, under yet another king, he is elevated to number two over all of the kingdom. And he continues to practice the ways that his God had taught him to do so because his character had been adjusted because the information he had moved into application. We are well, listen to me, we are very well educated beyond our obedience today. Let that sink in for a second. We are educated beyond our obedience today. And we're educated beyond our obedience because we have this mindset, I think, my opinion, we have this mindset that my little decision, my little choice here is not going to really make an impact on the kingdom. You are wrong. You are wrong. And those are the enemies of the devil that, that you're buying into the lies of. It doesn't matter how the rest of the world is changed by the application of truth in your life. It matters how obedient you are to trust God and let him deal with that. It matters that in the, in the midst of a challenging trial, in, in the midst of a circumstance that is beyond your ability to actually conquer on your own, that you instead you trust God with that and say, I'm going to do what you want me to do because I'm a person of character because I've learned what good character is and I'm going to apply this to everyday circumstances. And if the rest of the world doesn't buy into this and doesn't do this the same way, it doesn't matter because your holiness is always holy and you love me just the same. And you're asking me to be the example that I need to be because you placed me here in the midst of these circumstances so that those circumstances would, would bring about trials and that endurance would bring about hope and I am a light in the darkness because I've chosen to listen to what you say about me and who I'm supposed to be especially in the circumstances out there so I have to choose to let the information apply properly if not that can of paint's just going to dry up and the walls are still going to be dirty and dingy and they're not going to change at all and without proper application there is no change whatsoever none you are not changed because of what you know. You're changed because of what you do based upon what you know. And that's character. That's who Daniel was. You could set your watch by Daniel. And next week we're going to explore some of that because there were some guys watching him. They were frustrated about that. I think character is also formed when wisdom is revealed. I don't think you can walk around saying, I'm the wise one around here. Everybody stop, pay attention. I'm about to speak. Trumpeter, please. 
Everyone quiet. Because the next words out of my mouth are going to change your life. No, they're not. They're going to entertain you for about seven seconds. The choice you make with comes out of my mouth could change your life. But when wisdom is revealed, people notice it, right? You know who the wise people are in your life is because everybody around you starts paying. Man, that guy, he listened to him. He knows what he's talking about. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Now, Proverbs is not guaranteed. There are more probability, but I got news for you. Behind every bad decision, there's an idiot behind him going, you can do it. Bro, you could totally make that jump. Evil can evil had a team of people cheering him on. Hey, anybody want to make a test run? No, you got this, bro. It's all on you. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Hmm. Tell a lot about a person and their character by the friends that they have, the company that they keep, the people who are in their lives. I'm not saying, and I'll be the first one to tell you, that you should not interact with those that are outside of your faith, that are outside of your values and your beliefs, but you should be careful not to let their influence impact you in such a way that you can't be pulled apart from the difference. I think one of the challenges that we have, and I can tell you personally that I have, is that I don't have a lot of non-believing friends I'm insulated by the body of Christ. I'm insulated by the work that I do. And I don't have a lot of non-believing friends. It's actually one of the great challenges because in my heart and in my gifts, I want to tell people about Jesus. I used to interview a lot of missionaries when I'd go on mission trips, and I'd always ask them, what's the hardest thing about being a missionary? They'd tell me two things. Number one, getting along with other missionaries. (laughs) It's kind of funny, actually. Got these alpha people in a room trying to do their thing following God the second thing they would tell me is that they would plead with God how many more times do I need to tell these people the truth when the people down the road never even heard it they have such a heart for people to know this Jesus to hear the truth and sometimes we get ourselves wrapped up with bad company Booker T. Washington is a brilliant man great guy he says associate yourself with people of good quality for it's better to be alone than to be in bad company Ooh, man, I'm already lonely. No, that's not the same. It's not the same. I like that show on the History Channel called Alone. And it's funny because you start watching these people as they get tired, as they get hungry, as they start losing weight, as it starts to get cold. What you start seeing is these layers start getting peeled back. You start seeing who they are. In the very first season of that, the winner of that first season said, the hardest part about this was not finding food, was not the cold, was not the weather. He said, it was being by myself and having to face my demons and realizing I needed to go home and fix some relationships. Just let that settle in for a minute. It's better to be alone than be in bad company, right? You can choose who you're around. You can choose the circumstances. But when wisdom is revealed, what you realize very quickly is that you ought to pay attention to that person. That was Darius, a non-God-fearing king over Persia and over the Babylonian kingdom, still oppressing the Jews. That was Darius who says, you know what, this, this guy, Daniel, hey, 
people respect him. And I think I want him to be my number two guy. They're my own kinsmen that deserve this by birthright. But instead, I'm going to go with this Daniel guy because he's a wise man. He makes good choices. He's a person of good character. Finally, I want to just share with you this. Character is formed when a godly reputation is evident to others. He's a good man. What does that have to do with anything? He's a pretty nice fella. He's generous. He's a philanthropist. You know, those are great things. But the real challenge is is that his reputation, his godly reputation, is what really needs to come out. You know how to tell somebody's got a godly reputation? Their character. And they always are. In the midst of their circumstances, they make good choices and they choose character. They choose to take one on the chin to be who they are. Their character is someone who's going to stand up and say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done and do what is right and good and best. Their character is to take what they know, put it into application for God's glory and his kingdom so that they will see his good deeds and they will glorify the Father. His godly reputation is such that people don't have anything terrible to say about him personally. They start manufacturing things. Just think about that. When's the last time somebody made something up about you? I'm not talking about the true things about who you really are that they say, and all you can say is, yep, that's me. I'm talking about when's the last time somebody made something up about you? Do you know what they're doing? They're assessing your character and assigning it to your reputation. And your reputation is a consistent thing which develops out of the character to say this person always does these things. Now, I'm not talking about a juvenile who everything always happens all the time always, right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of you have raised teenagers. They're all mean to me. They're always mean to me. They always do this. They did it once. Your feelings on your shirt sleeves got wore out. Then instead of saying, you know what, I'm just going to trust they had a bad day or I'm going to give this over to God, you go over to your friend and go, is this person? Oh, yeah, they did that to me too. And so now guess what? You have a new reputation. You're a gossip. Tough, isn't it? good news is teenagers can grow out of that, but they choose not to, and they become adults who stay in the spiral. Titus chapter 1, verse 7 and 8 tells us about a good reputation. It says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works, and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned, so that an, an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Verse 3 in Daniel chapter 6. It says that everyone recognized that there was an excellent spirit about him. Friends, I don't think we're just talking about the Holy Spirit here. What I think is that we see the influence of the Holy Spirit, of a godly life on a man that permeated into everything that he thought, did, went, saw, put his hands to, there was an excellent spirit about him that no matter how you impugned him, no matter what bad things you said about him, no matter how tough his circumstances were, the character of Daniel was going to do what was right and good and proper because his input was right, so his output was even better. 
His time with God personally, when he stopped and prayed, when he ate the right foods, when he fasted, when he studied the word, when things got really pressured on him, what came out of him were the things that God put into him. And the reputation was, is that, hey, no matter how bad the circumstances are around here, no matter how difficult it may be for all the rest of us, you know what we ought to do? Go talk to Daniel. If I want the truth, if I want good advice, if I want godly wisdom, not worldly wisdom, I need to go talk to Daniel. But if I don't want those things, I'm going to Google. And Google will tell me what I'm supposed to do with my life. Because it is the source of all misinformation. Here's the good news. Here's the good news. Godly character, it matters. It matters. And Daniel showed us that an excellent spirit comes out of a godly character by a life lived that, that puts ourselves in the right place with God, the right relationship with him. And so if you are looking for a fresh start, and these on-ramps of life, which usually comes around semesters and Christmas breaks and New Year's and all that. If you're looking for a fresh start, man, I, hey, I'm excited for you. I think there are two fresh starts that we can have today. I think the first fresh start that we can have today is we can just stop and say, you know what, God's in control of all things, and I'm going to let him stay there in control of my life, and I'm going to willingly give that over, and I want that excellent spirit that Daniel had because I'm going to trust him in what's going on. And because I'm going to do so, I'm going to defend the king who is Jesus in my life. I'm going to defend the king so that he does not suffer loss. Instead of being a person of bad character who brings loss upon the kingdom, because I let my circumstances overwhelm my choices. The same circumstances that God ordained and allowed me to get into, many of which that I invited myself into by making bad choices. And so the first fresh start that I think we can make today is say, hey, I'm going to choose. I'm going to choose to trust God, and I'm going to fix some of the things that are coming in so that the stuff that's coming out is right and good and best. Now, for some of you, that's a tall order. And it is impossible to do on your own. And I think that's the second fresh start that we have today. And that is to, to, to stop and just say, you know what, I want to be a new creation in Jesus Christ. I want God to rule over me in such a way that I am walking in lockstep with him. I may not be raised to a position of power and authority, but what I will be raised to is that somebody's going to look at me and say, you know what, that guy walked with God. He loves God. He loves people. He does so in the midst of challenging circumstances and trials and difficulties. And he does so because he's spending more time with him than he is with the rest of the world on the negative things. He's embracing that the circumstances are what they are, that God's got a better plan than that. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ at all, you'll never get the fresh start you're looking for. That's the tragedy. Daniel was a godly man of good character, he chose good character over comfort and convenience. He chose to do the right thing to make the best decision he possibly could. Choose you this day whom you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. It's a choice. I would invite you to do one thing. Make one decision of choice this week that improves your character. You're not going to do all these things I mentioned this morning all at once. Just one thing. 
for me, I'm going to call a timeout this week. And my social media and everything else is going to be turned off. I need a break from that nonsense out there. And some of it in here, too. Just telling you the truth. Let's pray together. Create in me a clean heart, O Lord. And renew in me a right spirit. Father, it's our desire that we would have an excellent spirit. But Lord, I will be the first to confess to you that sometimes I sabotage that. And so God, this week I pray that we would all focus on the character of who we are always. That we wouldn't let our circumstances continue to dictate our actions and our behaviors and our beliefs and our values, Lord. But instead, Lord, our choices would reflect a God who saves and lives in us and wants what's best for me and for those around me that I come to influence with. God, our character matters. We have no better examples than you and your son Jesus who were consistent in everything that happened to them. Father, even falsely accused, falsely beaten, falsely hung on a cross by man's standards, the character of Christ was to confess that it was finished so that we might have new life. Father, I pray over this congregation that the world that slips into so many facets, that pressures so many decisions and thoughts and actions and attitudes, Lord, that you would guide them, Lord, but you would protect them. That their choices would reflect a desire to chase after you. Father, we love you and we thank you for how you provide for us in all that we do. Lord, we pray over our offering this morning that we might be able to do great things for the kingdom of God in our community, Lord. We pray over our students as they get ready to come back to school. We pray, Lord, that character would be one of those things that just comes out of them and the environments that they'll be in. Father, we thank you for Jesus and for how he loves us. And we ask these things in his holy name. Amen. I invite you to stand.